It is my uh, great pleasure this morning to talk to you about the subject of gentleness. And uh, it might be helpful for those of you who haven't heard some of the other talks in the series, just to give you a context for what we're going to do. If you've got one of the Red Church Bibles and you can turn to page 1172, um, we're basing our thoughts over the last few weeks on one particular verse that speaks about the Holy Spirit and um, that verse is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23 uh, where it says just halfway down the page there Paul writes the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy peace, patience goodness uh, sorry, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Uh, there are nine character traits in that verse that are produced by the work of God in someone's heart. These are not an exam to pass. They're not something to strive to achieve so that God will be pleased with us. They are fruits that God himself produces in human hearts by his grace and kindness. And so each week we've taken a different one and we've dealt with uh, all the others up to faithfulness. And this morning we're going to think about this uh, fruit of the Spirit uh, called gentleness. Uh, gentleness is, uh, is a nice word. And I, I, maybe we could do a little survey and ask you what springs to mind when you think of the word gentleness. I think one of the challenges for us as we think about this subject is, is what gentleness isn't. Uh, according to the Bible, and we'll, we'll get into some definitions as we, as we go through, that gentleness is not the same as weakness. And it isn't just a personality trait that some people have and some people don't that is just passive and nice and sincere. Um, this is a fruit of the Spirit that should be present in all Christian believers because it's a fruit of God's Spirit. It's not just a personality trait. And it isn't the same as weakness. The Greek word, I, I always smile, the Greek word for gentleness in the Bible, because you know Paul wrote this in Greek. I, I always think it looks like the word prawn when you read it in, in, in Greek letters. But it's the word praus. So in our English, it's obviously in Greek, but in our English it would be P-R-A-U-S, praus, not prone, but praus. One Bible commentator said, this world is pretty much untranslatable into English. Uh, that's great for a preacher who's going to preach on gentleness, isn't it? Untranslatable, thanks for that. But I know what he means. The Greek, the Greek language is a very precise language. We use words... And we kind of know what they mean, and they can mean different things. But in, in the Greek language, they were very careful to make sure that words meant what they wanted them to mean. And this word pros is, is a complex idea, and it's not easy to define by one word like gentleness. You can see that because in the Bible, when it's translated to English, this word pros is translated in different ways. It's translated as humility. It's translated as consideration, gentleness, patience, mildness, or meekness. Um, a couple of years ago we did a series in Matthew chapter 5 thinking about the 
Sermon on the Mount, there's a famous section in Matthew chapter 5 that's come to be known as the Beatitudes. And the third one, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we were thinking about that. It's the same word, or, or the same kind of root word. Let me give you a couple of uh, quotations. One writer said, The idea of meekness or gentleness is not weakness. It is not wishy-washiness. It is not to be indecisive, to be timid or unsure of yourself. It is not even to be polite or affable or naturally kind or nice. It is not cowardice or spinelessness. It is not the willingness to have peace at any price and cost. It isn't lacking in confidence. It isn't shyness. It isn't the opposite of being an extrovert. It's not simply being good-mannered or having proper social conventions. And it certainly is not a lack of conviction. Some dictionaries define this word as deficient in courage. Let me say categorically that no matter what it means in the English language today, it doesn't mean that in the word of God. That's a good quote. What does this word mean then? Well, I've been thinking this week a little bit about, we, we touched on some of this when we went through the Beatitudes, but what, what did this word kraus mean uh, to people who were Greek who would hear it? So, three ideas. The first concept uh, behind this word, Greek people in ancient Greek culture would use this word kraus to describe a soothing medicine or a cool, refreshing breeze. There's something about the word praus that has the idea of soothing. So you can imagine being ill with some kind of fever and you take some medicine and it, it soothes you, it calms you, and it uh, enables you to become well again. Okay, got that? So that's the first idea. Uh, the second uh, idea in this word "kraus" is the idea of balance. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is, is um, it's the idea of not being extreme. That the great Greek philosopher Aristotle said that this word "kraus" is the mean or the middle between anger and indifference. Praus, for him, is a word that was an ethical word. So what he's really trying to say there is that it isn't dignified in human life to be an extremist. He's, he's saying that unjustified anger or violence is wrong, but so is, at the other end of the scale, never getting angry at anything because you're just too passive or asleep. What we really need in human life is this sense of balance. You shouldn't be a person who has no passion, but neither should you be a person who is ruled by your passions. What you need is balance. Pros. Not extremism, but balance. Okay? So soothing, balance. The last idea that I want to introduce is this idea of control. 
Uh, Greek people would use this word to describe an animal, perhaps like a horse, that was very naturally strong, but had been broken in. I've never been involved in uh, horsemanship, but I, I, I wouldn't imagine it's an easy thing to break a horse in. Kind of, you know, a, a baby horse sort of jumping around and kicking its legs, and oh, I don't want to kind of uh, get in the way of that. And and people have to be very skilled, don't they, to to kind of break in a horse. I didn't know this, but people who work with horses, they call the breaking in process, uh, they call it gentling. They, that, that, that's what they do, they, they gentle a horse. And it's interesting that, isn't it? In the Bible, a rebellious person is described like an unbroken, unbridled, dangerous animal. The psalmist says in the Old Testament, don't be like a horse or a mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by a bit or bridle or they won't come to you. They're unbroken, unruly. A horse is willful and headstrong and will cause havoc. And a mule, I suppose, is just stubborn and won't move at all unless you kick it. But both of those ideas are pictures of kind of rebelliousness. They're no use unless you can put them through a process of being brought into line, gentled or broken. So the Greeks would use this word pros to describe something that is very strong but is not uncontrollable. An animal that's well behaved, useful, responsive to instruction, under control. I think one writer uses the word prowess to describe an elephant, you know, that, that idea of, a, of strength, but kind of the idea of a gentle giant. So, thinking about those three words then, here's my definition from, from the Greeks, I suppose, of gentleness. Gentleness really is the soothing beauty and the perfect balance of real power that is under control. That's gentleness. It's not weakness. It's not wetness. It's not wimpishness. It is the soothing beauty and the perfect balance of power that is under control. I was thinking in my mind of... Um, I remember when we went to um, on holiday this summer, we went to some wineries, and the, and they show in the, in the old-fashioned wineries they had these massive like wooden beams that had a massive weight of concrete attached to one end. And when I say a wooden beam, I don't just mean like a roof joist. I mean these were like 18 inches across both ways, massive solid beams of wood, and the, and the concrete hanging on the end, and they they'd sort of press a lever and this concrete would come down, crush all the grapes and all the juice would run down and that was the old way they did it and I was thinking about the men who must have lifted those beams into place you can imagine a young boy who's not yet fully grown as an adult trying to lift something heavy and they might just about get it into their arms but when they try and put it down you know what's going to happen it's just going to go and everyone will hear the noise but a strong man can lift things up with strength to spare and he can put them down gently 
he doesn't just drop it because he can't hold it but he's, he's kind of he's in control power under control and there's a sense of gentleness in that isn't it even though it's raw power this, this power to spare so keep, on, keep that in mind then this idea that gentleness is power under control one writer says, says this it cannot be too strongly insisted upon that meekness or gentleness is not weakness it is really strength held under control power kept in reserve steam does the most work when it makes the least noise not a few of us need less noise and more poise things do not need to shatter to matter there is more might in the sunlight falling silently upon a small patch of the earth than in the crashing of thunder and flashing of lightning in a terrific storm we do well to store up quietitude against the day of need gentleness means that you realise that you have power to cause damage but instead you choose not to you choose to be careful with life with yourself with those around you you choose instead to pause well there's a, there's a couple of definitions of, um, of gentleness we just want to do two things now um, I want to say two things first of all I want to say this gentleness is the mark of Christ's kingly rule and then I want to go on to say secondly that gentleness is the mark of Christ's true followers ok is that simple enough I'm going to think about Jesus first and then we'll think about the fact that this is a fruit of the spirit that should be present in our lives and hearts now there's no doubting is there the power of Jesus or his opposition to everything that is evil the idea that we sometimes get that we pick up maybe in Sunday school of gentle Jesus meek and mild is really not a well rounded biblical one that description doesn't fit for a guy who stood up in the boat in the middle of a storm and told the weather to shut up it doesn't fit the description of a guy who sent demonic spirits into 2,000 pigs so that they all ran over the cliff into the sea. I'm not sure the owner would have been very pleased with that. It doesn't describe the guy who went to the capital city of his nation, to the biggest church in the country, made a whip and started kicking over tables and whipping all the con men to get out there. How dare you turn my father's house into a den of robbers? That isn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. I wouldn't have liked to have been on the receiving end of the fire in his eyes on that day. There is no doubting the uncompromising, raw, pure and holy power of Jesus. And yet, his kingly rule is marked by gentleness power under control 
If you um, turn in your church Bibles to the Old Testament, page 955. Page 955. There is an Old Testament prophet who has the wonderful name Zechariah. Sounds like a Victorian cobbler. Zechariah. Well, here he is, an Old Testament prophet. This man is writing several hundred years before Jesus was born. And he's making some predictions about the Messiah. And look at what he says on page 955, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. He says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That verse in Zechariah, the prophet, is quoted by Matthew later on. You'll recognise the uh, reality, I'm sure, that when Jesus on Palm Sunday came into Jerusalem, the coming king, the Messiah, arrives. Is he on a great big white stallion with armour on it like Henry VIII? No. He rides into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. That's, that's what his reign is marked by. He isn't a show-off, even though, even though he is the creator of the whole cosmos. He rides into Jerusalem on a baby donkey. Truly, the reign of Christ is marked by gentleness. Let me give you three reasons why I believe that. First of all, Jesus saves by love and not by weapons or fighting. We need to think about the message of Christianity here. The Bible says that the biggest problem with this world is really that we as a human race rebel against our maker it's not popular you, you won't hear that talked about much on TV but the Bible talks about the reality of our rebellion against God but the Lord Jesus Christ instead of saying it's not my fault I'm washing his hands of the human race instead of the Lord Jesus just reacting in anger and retaliation how very dare they what they need is to be abandoned and obliterated. And instead of winning by just showing off a spectacular display of awesome power and might, this king comes into the world to die. He saves people not by showing off his mighty power, but by having all his power under control 
and allowing himself to be taken by wicked men. What was it they were doing? To stretch him out on the floor and hammer nails to his hands and feet and press thorns into his head and lift the wooden beam up and drop it into a socket and hang him there to die. And as people walked past, they laughed. You call yourself the Son of God? We'll believe in you if you come down and save yourself. And yet he isn't dying for his own sins. He wasn't a criminal. He's laying down his life because of the shame and sinful selfishness of every other human being. He doesn't save by fighting. He saves by loving. Sacrificially. I don't know anything better than that. Jesus Christ is utterly amazing. His reign, his kingly, divine and powerful reign is marked by gentleness. He is the lion who became a lamb. Secondly, I want to say this. Jesus' reign is marked with gentleness because he nurtures with patience. Rob read to us from Matthew chapter 11. And in those verses, it is an interesting fact for you. When you think about the Gospels and Jesus giving teaching and information, Jesus talks about lots of things in the Gospels, but he never... He never talks about his own personality traits. We, we have the great I am's of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the vine. All these different ways that Jesus describes himself by comparing himself to, if you want to know what I'm like, think about this, because I am this. The one place where Jesus describes himself in terms of his personal traits is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29 where Jesus says come to me all ye who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me why? because I am gentle and lowly in heart it's the only place where Jesus describes himself. And what word does he use? Gentleness. Many people in life feel very tired and very weary. We can't walk around like that all the time because people would think we were really miserable. Some people do because they can't help it. But sometimes we put a brave face on when actually we're feeling pretty tired inside, I don't mean because you haven't had an early night, but just life, weariness. One of the issues is that human beings are always prone to chasing things, looking for peace, for satisfaction, for fulfilment, and we look in all different places and our life is one big search for meaning and purpose. And the truth is, often, we're tired. We could sing like Bono from U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. 
And Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. He promises to be the end of that search. And he says that he will give rest for your soul. But it's interesting that Jesus then says, what I want you to do is take my yoke upon you. So this is not kind of, come to me and you'll be able to lie in a hammock with a pina colada, with the sun beating down and do nothing. We're not made for that either. It's nice to do that now and again, for sure. But human beings are not made for inactivity. Human beings are made for joyful activity. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The picture there is one of like the oxen or the cows who are pulling the plough and they go in pairs and there's like a yoke that fits over their shoulders. And what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to get in one side of the yoke, you take the other bit of the yoke on your shoulders and we're going to go through life together. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'll show you how to live and how to navigate your way through this confusing world. And you know what? You'll enjoy it. Because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not a hard taskmaster. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus nurtures his people not by beating them up, not by whipping them, not by criticising them, but by getting into the yoke at the side of them and walking through life with them. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That isn't what most people think of when they think of Jesus, but it is what you ought to think when you think of Jesus. He saves you by his loving sacrifice. And he nurtures you rather than criticises you with his patience. Oh man, time just doesn't stand still, does it? We might have to do part two next week. I don't know. We'll see how far we get. And if we've not finished, we'll carry on next time. I want to say this as well. Jesus is one who restores with tenderness. What are we going to do? Let's um, just turn with me to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 12. Here's another prophecy from the Old Testament that was fulfilled in Jesus. I don't want to go through this too quickly because this is really important. Matthew chapter 12, it's on page 977. Matthew often does this in the Gospels. He talks about what Jesus did and said and how he behaved. And then he says, And did you know that this happened to fulfill what the prophet said 600 years ago? And that's exactly what he says here in chapter 12 when he talks about God's chosen servant. Verse 17, Matthew says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. 600 BC. This is what Isaiah speaking, God's word said. This is really God speaking. Here is my servant 
whom I have chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out and no one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory and in his name the nations will put their hope. I just want to pick up on the idea of a bruised reed and a smouldering wick. A reed is um, like a plant that grows alongside a river, isn't it? It's hollow, they're fairly brittle, and they would be very familiar to people living in Palestine. I'm told that they could grow anything from 3 feet to 20 feet high. And reeds were used as a symbol of weakness and fickleness. When Jesus was being tried by the Roman soldiers, they put a crown of thorns on his head and they gave him a reed to hold. Do you remember that? They were mocking him. What king rules with a rod of reedness? You don't give someone a reed. It's not a symbol of power. You just snap it over your knee, wouldn't you? I was uh, very moved reading a talk on this uh, subject this week. And the guy I was reading said this, we can say two things about a reed. First of all, they're very weak. If a bird lands on a reed, it snaps. The wind blows them over. You can't even think about a reed without thinking of it being bruised or cracked or broken. <coughs> there is hardly anything in the world more frail or brittle than a reed. The second thing though is, they're worthless. Look at this, I found a reed. <laughs> Great, well done. They, you, they're trampled underfoot. You wouldn't even bother to pick one up. You'd kick it out of the way. They have very little value especially when they're bruised and broken. Is that not a great description of human life? It seems like God has created human life to be innately vulnerable. It says in the Bible, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower. The wind blows over it and then it's gone and its place remembers it no more. I think reeds represent the poor, the oppressed. And the word bruised, this writer says, it means to be broken by calamity. This is, an, this is a picture, the writer says, of an individual who has been wiped out by life. A bruised reed, flattened. Do you feel weak or and worthless? this morning if you've been battered and thrown around by the storms of life has sin scarred you listen to these words about Jesus a bruised reed he will not break his reign is marked by gentleness Jesus is not out to crush you 
or to break you into little pieces or to kick you out of the way. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The second picture that Isaiah gives is that of snuffing out a smoking wick. This is interesting. In olden times, I understand that if you had a little lamp, the wick would be like a piece of linen. And when the wick started to burn down to the bottom and the oil got low, all the muck and guff and wax and just blackness around the wick would start to smoulder and it would fill the room with acrid smoke, irritating smoke. And what, you'd be sitting there in your armchair reading your stone tablet days of the newspaper and you'd reach across and snuff it out and probably go to bed, wouldn't you? Sometimes we come across people who are like that, don't we? They're just smouldering and they're irritating and the smoke from them gets in our eyes. <laughs> and we're tempted to just reach out and go. Isaiah says about Jesus, he doesn't, he will not break a bruised reed and he'll never snuff out a smouldering wick. Do you know what Jesus does? He comes and he puts his hands around the flame and he lifts the linen and he pours a little bit more oil in and he blows on it and he fans it back into life. His rule is marked by gentleness. Do you feel like a bruised reed or a smouldering wick? Instead of quenching you, Jesus wants to fan you into flame. Jesus handles bruised reeds with a care and precision that no one else can match. The kingly rule of Jesus, he has great power, but he rules with gentle tenderness. Gentleness is the mark of Christ's followers. We better get to this because it wouldn't make sense, this talk otherwise. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So, if this is what Jesus is like, is it not what his people should be like? See? His people should be clothed with a secure and winsome gentleness. The followers of Jesus should not be quick to take advantage. That's a problem for us, isn't it? Someone criticizes, someone criticizes us. Someone maybe undermines us. And how quickly the little kind of angry attitude rises up in our hearts and Christian followers of Jesus should be ready to receive instruction. James, the brother of Jesus, said in the letter that he wrote in the New Testament, receive God's word with meekness, gentleness. This is the idea of being teachable, isn't it? Some people, you can't tell them anything. They just don't, you can't tell me what to do. That isn't the attitude of a follower of Jesus. 
humble enough to learn, honest enough to face the reality, balanced enough to avoid prejudice, energetic enough to seek wisdom from God, teachable. A gentle person is someone who's patient in difficulties, not restless and irritable and anxious, not quick to blame other people. You never guess what they've done now. And the kind of red mess comes now. That isn't the spirit of Christ. And for Christian people, how important it is for Christian people to be courteous to people who are not Christian believers. Not prejudiced or jaundiced. Christian followers amongst all the people groups of the world should be at the front of the queue when it comes to thinking outside of my own little people group. Christian believers should be courteous to outsiders. We talked about this in Titus and in 1 Peter during last year. Christian people also should be sensitive to the broken, not overbearing and arrogant, but sensitive. Paul speaks about that in Galatians chapter 6. Christian followers should be a soothing influence in this world. One of the issues with this is that sometimes we need to be reminded, don't we, that no one's perfect apart from God. And one writer says this, maybe I can speak to someone's heart this morning. The truth is, at times, your spouse will disappoint you. Your kids will fail you. Your friends will let you down. Your church will drop the ball at times. Your pastor won't meet all of your expectations. And the time will come when you have a legitimate gripe. You will be right and they will be wrong. That is the crossroads of gentleness. Which path will you take at that point? Condemnation and the cold shoulder? Or grace and gentleness? Before you make that decision, remind yourself how gentle Jesus has been with you. We can choose to live our lives disappointed, angry and frustrated with everyone around us. Or we can live life armed with the virtue of gentleness and enter into the blessing of authentic relationships. And God maybe can use you to mend a broken reed or to fan back into flame a smouldering wick. Let me just close with this quotation. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of gentleness, is for the bedraggled, the beaten up and the burnt out. It is for the sorely burdened, the wobbly and weak need who know they don't have it all together. It is for the inconsistent, the unsteady disciples, for poor, weak, sinful men and women. It is for earthen vessels who shuffle along with feet of clay. The gospel is for bruised reeds and smouldering wicks, bent and broken people who believe that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. The gospel is for me.
and it's for you and it's for everyone else who knows that they do not have it all together Jesus came for the sake of those who fail he came as a friend of the friendless a mender of broken hearts a comforter for those who mourn a hero for the helpless a bearer of burdens for the heavenly laden and a gentle saviour who will not break you or snuff you out